Hello, and welcome to the Humumu Halloween Home Horror Hoedown. The podcast where we watch 31 horror movies throughout the hallowed month of October. Ranging from the critically acclaimed to film school projects gone gruesomely awry. And we take them all way too seriously. I'm your host, Mike Hommel. And I'm your host, Sully Hommel. Now warning, we use a ghoulish number of spoilers, so watch the movies first. Second warning, we don't know anything about anything, so don't take us seriously while we take these movies seriously. Welcome back. Welcome back to you. Today, we are going to talk about the movie Cadaver from 2020. Very recent, very, very explosive time in our history. Yes, we've moved right up to modern times. We have, however, entirely changed our location. This movie is from Norway. Yeah, uh, I think that might be a first for us, maybe. I suspect so. As a Norwegian film, we watched it with subtitles. Neither of us speak Norwegian fluently. Not fluently. (laughs) So... Cadaver is the story of a family, a Norwegian family, in a post-nuclear war Norway, I assume. Sure. And things are not good. It was it was <laughs> a very good. accurate <laughs> representation of 2020. Yeah. I mean, it was. There were things in there. I was like, oh, 2020. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, really, j- all joking aside, the setting of this movie is unrecognizable because the buildings are all covered with ash the streets are destroyed there are dead bodies laying around yeah the sky is gray there are no trees there are no animals to speak of like it is a gray desolate wasteland even though they're in a city yeah fortunately there is a wealthy caring wonderful man living in a huge hotel, literally the only place that still has electricity, Mm -hmm. who is going to put on a show. Because, you know, everyone needs a little distraction. That is definitely something we learned in 2020. Yeah, it makes sense. Distract, distract, (laughs) distract. Well, and, you know, he sends his barker out into the streets with Mm -hmm. a car that has lights on it that drives, and he's driving down the street Mm -hmm. announcing to everybody... There's a show tonight. Come to the show. And the best part. By far the best part. The very best part. Especially after we've just watched this family, this husband and wife and their, I don't know, eight-year-old daughter, like scraping the last food out of a can with no label on it. The very best part of this Barker's message is a meal is included. Yeah, I mean, who cares about the show? I have to be honest, the very first time the words a meal is included fell out of his mouth, I thought, nope. There was no point in this movie where I wasn't like, well, cannibalism is happening. (laughs) Right? (laughs) I mean, I mean, a meal is included. Really? (laughs) Really? Yeah, it was 1000% obvious to me from the beginning what the big twist at the end was going to be me too and i i mean i i had a note where i'm like it's clearly cannibalism is the situation here but it's it's getting really weird like weird things are happening and i don't know what's going on and it did give you some kind of twists and turns but in the end it was like yeah these are cannibals and i'm like okay but that was obvious sure but 
I mean, I don't want our, our loyal listeners to be confused. These guys aren't just being cannibals for the sake of being cannibals. No. They're being cannibals because the leader of their gang had a daughter die at some point in the past. And so now he has to eat people. <laughs> I don't think that's how that works. No? I think, first of all, they're in this situation where there just isn't food. So This is true. Cannibalism is like they're at the point where that's the resort. And secondly, the leader, Matthias, has tricked them. He says he's taking the clothes of these people, you know, the people that they capture. In case you didn't guess, the people who come to the play get captured and killed. <gasps> what? He... It's not just entertainment and a, <laughs> no. and, a, and a nice free meal? <laughs> it's not. Shocking. He's taking their clothes and selling them and buying food is what he's telling the people. I guess they never question why the food is all meat. I don't know. <laughs> but... Meat and, and polyester. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So a lot of the people there are like shocked in the end of the movie to discover that they've been eating people all this time and they're upset. So here's the thing, though. Like this is an elaborate mm-hmm. scheme, I, yes. right? Like, I have a note about like, that. There's the one guy who's in charge and who's definitely like blackmailing people into participating. But then he has this large cast of characters mm-hmm. who these are the people he's blackmailing. And then there's this whole staff of plastic wrapped people who, yeah. who are working, you know, in the in the pathways under the stage that are doing the actual like wet work. Yes, yes. <laughs> I believe is the term. They're doing the wet work. <laughs> and yeah, there's a lot of them. And I that that was a note I made. Like they absolutely maybe the actors clearly were surprised, but there's a whole pile of people who are in on this. Right. So my question was how is it even remotely possible that the actors who live in that house and presumably eat regularly i mean they all and they have nice clothes like they were mm-hmm. all dressed really nicely there was a whole wait staff for serving the meal in this like very fancy elaborate way with lit you know covers on the plates and ooh it was all very fancy and yes. white glove hoity toity how is it even remotely possible that all those people had no idea what was going on in a pathway where some of them went during their performances. Yep. I mean, I don't know. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And, well, and we saw Lars, uh, one of the actors, transition to being a guy working down there. Like, he was the one who was going to kill the main character, Leo. So some of them were clearly on both sides of the table there. Yeah. I mean, I guess once you knew what was happening, then Mateus would essentially blackmail you some more. Like it was, then it was, depending on your personality, it was either join us or we'll kill you. Yeah. Or join us and I'll give you an extra share of the meat. Like what is going on there? It was... I mean, it's kind Ugh. of, you kind of have to be all in. It's a it's a Walking yeah. Dead situation where you have to throw your morals away and work with your in-group against everyone else. And yes. he's like, come join my in-group and we'll do great because we're going to keep tricking people into being food. And, and, you and just that's have what to we have to do to survive. It was yeah. like, he definitely had this idea of survival of the fittest. And at the end when he was busted, like he was... His defense was, I have been keeping you alive. Like, you would not be alive now if not for the decisions I 
took the responsibility to make. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was, so, you know, all of that was, was really well done. It just, I still, I couldn't believe what was going on at the end of the movie for the same reason that I can't believe in a lot of the conspiracy theories that are out there because like the, the moon landing definitely happened because <laughs> there are too many people involved right. for it to not be what has come out, you know? And there were other questions I had that came up like that because they had halfway through the movie, they're like, oh, the second showing is starting now. People are showing up for that. And it suddenly made me realize, right, this is a hotel. It's not something that moves. They're not a traveling circus. Right. So he's doing this thing. And what? 50 people die a night. And sure, n- nobody in town is going... Well, people just keep ending up dead every time they go up there. Okay, like, first this of all, would not last. There are still people in town. Like <laughs> that's a surprise. I mean, he would have pretty rapidly gone through yeah. the whole population of this community that was that remained after whatever yeah. apocalyptic nuclear event happened. It would have made a lot more sense as like a traveling circus kind of thing. And it would have been kind of cool if they came in on a train, you know, that adds a little drama and atmosphere. I don't know. Yeah. So let's talk about the performance for a little bit. Indeed. that it Hotel, it's called. That's what their performance is called? Mm-hmm. Okay. So the idea, just in a thea- theatrical sense, is that the invited guests are given these gold masks to wear. And so anyone wearing a mask is a guest. Anyone not wearing a mask is a cast member. And anything that happens to cast members is all part of the performance. <laughs> and let's be very clear. All he wanted you all. to know. He wanted you to know. It is all just a performance. Don't question it. Don't worry about it. Just for fun. Again, it was one of those things where, like, how are these people not running screaming from the room at this point? Like, my entire, like, nervous system was on fire with red flags. But this is, yeah, I mean, that's the kind of dinner theater there is, you know, where Mm -hmm. you have your dinner and then you can kind of walk around the house and things are just happening and you see them. Interesting idea. Never seen it myself. No, I do like the idea, though. I would definitely go to a performance like that. Not like this. <laughs> no. I'm not going to go to a performance where the selling factor is we live in a post-apocalyptic world and we have food for you. Yeah. But I did like the idea that, yeah, all these all these community members then just go wandering around the floors of this hotel and there are random doors open and inside different rooms there are different little vignettes happening. And you can yeah. stop and watch whatever vignette you choose to watch. And then you can follow somebody who leaves and see what they're up to next. Yes. Go from there. In fact, that's a key point in the movie. It is. I liked how that became very, very important. Mm -hmm. That was a good part. It was one of those things where it fit, and then it became key, and I was like, ooh, nice. That all works into the underlying issue of their capturing these people because when you stand in certain places so that you can see into the doorways there's secret buttons and trap doors and you fall into the mm-hmm. hallways which is odd because are there these red hallways under every floor of this hotel how many very... people are working there it's a very well designed hotel that they put a lot of effort into remodeling yeah yeah Really creepy. 
Um, yeah, it, it is supposed to be creepy, so that's good. That's true. The family, the main, the main characters, within five minutes of heading out to watch this performance, you know, to find, <laughs> to follow someone, within five minutes, they have all taken their masks off. I know. And the thing with the masks is not just that they were told this and, you know, keep, you, if you have your mask on, you're a member of the audience, but that it was clearly metaphorical and it meant something. And I'm like, okay. And then they just dropped their masks. And I'm like, okay. So there's some metaphor happening there that they're part of the show now mm-hmm. in some way. But I, I don't know. They just, they took off their masks so quick. Yeah. And they yeah. threw them away. They didn't just hold them. Well, yeah, they dropped them. They, like, completely forgot about them. Now, granted, that was because their daughter went missing. Yeah. I was annoyed by that part because the dad was upset at the daughter for wandering off. And the mom, who had been in theater and was one of those artsy types, mm-hmm. was, like, telling him, oh, no, we can't we can't let our fear control her life. Like, we have to let her be a child. And then she wanders off and gets lost, (laughs) right, in this massive hotel full of strangers. And all I could think was, fine, absolutely, 100%, you have to let your daughter be a child. That means that you have to be the adult and pay attention to what's going on around your daughter. Yeah, it's pretty important, (laughs) yeah. And this, I mean, the scenario, you know, that's all well and good in the real world, but in this post-apocalyptic world where just the night before their door had been pounded on by random people right? begging to come inside. Like, right? Their daughter could be killed at any moment. This I, is not a safe place. I mean, I understand the concept and the idea behind free-range parenting. 100%. <laughs> I can get behind it a lot, but maybe not while you are living in a nuclear wasteland. Yeah, I mean, that's a fair limitation, I think. So this brings me to the thing I really want to talk about with this movie. Hmm. I told you after we watched it that this movie is the first one this month where I've really truly was like, ooh, I have like philosophical thoughts based on this. Yeah, I can see why. Um, in fact, I have philosophical thoughts that I what I, I have not been able to puzzle out. It's the kind of thing where I'm probably going to keep thinking about it every once in a while because it's a big deal. It's like fundamental to humanity and particularly humanity in this day and age as we are watching women's rights being taken away from them and whole countries falling to tyrannical leadership and just all kinds of horrible things happening. At its core, Cadaver is entirely, it felt to me, about the difference between people who have hope and people who are realists or pragmatists. Yes. I, I was kind of torn between it's too on the nose, the mm-hmm. mom and the dad are very blatantly on opposite ends of the spectrum, right. to it's really cool that they did this instead of just having, you know, kind of generic personality traits. Like, they're doing something that we can see clearly. And they have, yeah, they had these ideas of how the world worked and how they were going to move through them. And those ideas impacted the decisions they made mm-hmm. within this story. And that was very, like, that's solid writing, I think. Like, that's good character development. 
But it really, like, what it got me thinking about was that dichotomy of hope versus pragmatism, the idea of image versus reality, and how that impacts hope yes. and pragmatism, and how being hopeful or pragmatic impacts how you see image and reality. And then by the end, there was even something else where it was like something about I, this is the part I couldn't put my finger on, really, is that it's something about how you reach your goals, right? Like there were characters who decided that survival was all important. Mm -hmm. There were characters who decided that survival was less important than maintaining some kind of sense of self or ethics, yeah. morals. And it felt like the movie was exploring how that drive, you know, how that ultimate decision of what was most important is driven by or impacted by maybe whether you are a hopeful person or a pragmatic person. <laughs> I mean, that sounds good. The thing that gets me is that I just really want masks to be a part of this because the masks were such a thing. <laughs> and, and I was noticing the workers under in the tunnels. They had masks too, which weren't really commented on. But like, what does that mean? You know, they're but not they part the of the show. Masks, though, they no, were. they had different masks. But you know, some people wear masks and some people don't. And I don't know. It I, it may not have meant anything at all. But the, those masks were so. I mean, the cover image for the movie was one of those masks mm -hmm. with a golden mask. Mm -hmm. I don't know. So okay, here's where I go from like really thinking about things, you know, pondering the message to just shoving pieces together to come up with something interesting, right? Like there's a fine line yeah. between trying to understand a movie and just being like, here's things I noticed and this is what it means. <laughs> sure. But I want to put, you know, that mask thing is definitely an important piece of it. And so the people in the tunnels doing the wet work who knew the reality of the situation had a variation, a version of a mask on. Mm -hmm. They had to cover their face. They had to hide their identities in some way. Their humanity solely. <laughs> Bing! <laughs> the people doing the acting, actors, did not have masks on. They were the image of it. They were the, the story behind the reality or in front of the reality, really. Right. The facade. Yes. And because they didn't know the reality, they it was okay for them to show who they really were. They felt safer being who they were. They felt they didn't feel bad about what they were doing. Sure. Because they yeah. didn't think they were doing anything bad. Well, really. I Too mean, bad. I think, I mean, the idea we were selling their clothes, you know you have to kill them to do that, right? Because they'd be naked out in the cold. <laughs> They're going to die. You would think. Someone so, would show up and be like, hey, why did you rob me? Like, Yeah, so they know they're killing people. They just didn't want to be eating them, which I think is kind of, you know, use the whole animal if you're going to kill it. <laughs> so here's the thing. Here's and, and here's part of what I think the message is. And I don't, I'm just going to say things. I don't, I'm not saying that I agree or disagree with this. I'm just like puzzling it out right now. Mm -hmm. But it feels like... There's a sense that that hopefulness is blinding in some sense. Is mm -hmm. It allows you to focus on the illusion and disregard 
whatever flickers of reality you might see. So they uh-huh. they knew, you know, really, if they had thought about it, yeah. they would have had questions that would have led to answers that would have made them very uncomfortable. So they chose not to think about it. Yes. Waiter, there's a ring on my lady finger. <laughs> I have to high five that. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, I don't know how that got there. <laughs> so... Yeah, so it seems like a large part of the movie is critical of that idea of hope. Right, that idealism and Mm -hmm. believing what you see, which is kind of... And what you're told. Yeah, that's that's the 2020 message is, you know, be skeptical, Mm -hmm. question authority, Mm -hmm. and... Uh, research things. Don't just believe what you see. Don't Mm -hmm. believe the show they're putting on. Where that kind of breaks a little bit is that Leonora, she doesn't like learn that lesson, really. She doesn't lose her hope. Well, I mean, I guess she finds out what's going on in there and she leads everyone to see the Mm -hmm. truth. So there's that. But I don't know, because like there's the scene where Jakob and Leonora are together in the meat pits mm-hmm. and basically he turns to her side he he mm-hmm. he wants her to join him well he, he might be faking this whole thing but he wants her to join him in the circus troupe and kill people with with him and then she you know convinces him with uh, hope and heart and tears that you know hey that's not cool Mm-hmm. Let's not kill anybody and therefore kill this guy here real quick. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so that we can get out of here. So here's the thing. It, and this is this is the hopeful part of me. Mm-hmm. I want to believe that that was what he... He was always on their side. That he was always on the side of Lenora and their daughter, Alice. But being a pragmatist... He was going to do whatever he had to do to save them. So if he had been able to convince Lenora to join the Mm. hotel cast, I believe he would have done that. Because his entire goal was to keep his family alive. Yeah, it's very... But because she wouldn't join, and she like drew a hard line there, then he's like, all right, well then that shifts the game... That shifts my uh, variables. Now I have to do, I have to kill whoever I have to kill to keep her alive. Yeah. And that's, that makes sense. And then they're both just coming at this same goal from different mm-hmm. perspectives. Mm-hmm. And so the note that I made at this point and, and kind of later too, like I was thinking about it at this, at the point where they were. Um, having that conversation. And then it really solidified more toward the end um, in when Leonora and Alice were, were there in the big ballroom all by themselves, which was a very like visually impactful scene. What it really boils down to is two questions. What are you willing to give up to win or to survive? Survival being winning in this story. And what belief system are you willing to die in order to keep. Hmm, yeah. And Jakob's definition of winning was to keep his family alive. And he was willing to die to do that. And he did. 
Or, you know, he was willing yeah. to die to do that for as long as he could. Obviously, once he's dead, then he's, <laughs> there's, there's not, there's a little flaw in his plan there. But whereas Lenora was on the other side of things where she was willing to die to hold on to her core belief system, her core yeah. ethics, which were, we don't eat each other, essentially. Pretty like, good rule. Don't, don't kill other people. Um, yeah. You know, this is wrong. I won't join this thing that I know is wrong just because it will keep me alive. Mm -hmm. That's good. That's real good. There was so much thinking going on in my head. <laughs> yeah, I think that really works. And she doesn't compromise. And she turns the tables on Matthias, however you say his name. And that was the the fun scene of the movie where the fact that early on he said, you know, be the most interesting thing in the room, make people right, follow he was you. He's cast that. That turns around on him and he's like, oh, no, wait, listen to me, not her. Right. That was she, fun. She pulls up her acting background. Acting. <laughs> and becomes the most interesting character to this second round of uh, guests. And they don't realize, like, she doesn't have a mask on. So as far as they're concerned, <laughs> she's part of the cast. And they're like, yes, please, let's follow this fascinating woman who's lost her daughter. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that her taking his rules and turning them around on him in order to reveal what he was doing was mm, delightful. Yeah. Delightful. Delightful. So it's upsetting to me how much I, how much time I spend thinking about this exact question in real life. Pragmatism versus idealism. And its application over the next 20 years, 50 years. Like, I believe that I started saying this very flippantly, and I realized it is not flippant at all. There's a really, uh, real deep, scared part of me that believes that the rest of my life will involve having to decide when hope seems to be gone. Can I hold on to that? Can I keep going? Can I keep taking that next step, even though it seems like there's nothing to step toward? Yeah. Or do I just give up because there's nothing to step toward? It's it's the mist, right? It's the mist. <laughs> yeah. And, A classic conundrum. And uh, it's just every day I wake up with that idea, like the future is less visible the mist is getting thicker. The monsters are getting more scary mm -hmm. and harder Very to quickly. see <laughs> and harder to fight. And every day I have to wake up and decide, am I my hopeful self or am I my pragmatic self? Essentially, do I want to hold on to my ideals or do I want to survive? Mm -hmm. That's the decision I feel like I have to make every single day. Yeah. It is getting real grim out there. This movie is very realistic, about 10 years from now. And uh, I don't know, I could see, I mean, I really, when we had the deep freeze in Texas, that was when I was like, this is, this is what it's like. This, I've never felt actually wondering whether I'm going to live or die or not. Like, if, if the power just goes out and stays out. We will either die or we'll, you know, go through a whole bunch of difficult things. We'll like chop down the trees in our backyard and, you know, start a bonfire back there. And 
you know, like survival kind of mm-hmm. things, which is not something I've ever had to deal with. And it's... I mean, and, and, and in that situation, even like, I, I totally understand what you're saying. Like I had those same, those same thoughts too. I've told people like, I've never been afraid of cold. I grew up in Minnesota. Like I'm not afraid of cold. I was afraid of the cold during that cold snap because there's only so much you can do to fight (laughs) nature. Right. Right. And And hundreds of people did die. Right. And to be, to be fair and to be clear, like, we were not in any real danger. No. We were much better off than anyone else. And even if our power had gone out and we had to burn furniture or cut down trees or whatever, like we had resources we could mm-hmm. turn to that wouldn't have been ideal, but they would have kept us alive. And we could have done it without sacrificing any morals. <laughs> like we weren't going to have to right. eat our neighbors. <laughs> yeah. But it was that glimmer of, hmm, hey. This, that was the first dose mm-hmm. of climate change for us. First mm-hmm. real spoonful. Mm-hmm. Our whole lives, there have always been things, right? And I think that's true for everyone. I mean, that's what life is. Things happen. Things that are scary. Things that you're not sure how to get through. Things that look like you might not get past them. Yeah. But it feels like those things are coming faster and faster and faster. It definitely does. And the thing is, there are always things like that, but also always some people don't survive those things. You know, COVID, we've been totally fine. Other people just at random drop dead because 1% of people are just going to drop dead from this disease. And that's just how it is. And sometimes that happens. Or, you know, People who didn't survive the cold freeze. Right. People who whose whose livelihoods are not going to survive the drought. Like Minnesota has had so little rain this year, and particularly our part of Minnesota. Like we got here in the middle of May, and up until a couple of weeks ago, we had maybe three, four hours where there was rain coming out of the sky. Yeah. Out of months. And that is not how it's supposed to be here. And, you know, again, we're in a situation where it's sad, the river's getting low, it's dry, whatever. But there are people all over this state whose livelihood relies on nature providing water so that they can grow the crops that they sell to feed their families. Well, and then eventually downstream, we're those people. Yes. If that keeps up, there's no food for us. Yes. And uh, or, you know, this past week, Hurricane Ida, which like I've seen so many hurricane maps since Mm -hmm. we moved to Texas. Like I've paid more (laughs) attention to hurricanes in the last six years than I ever did when I lived in Minnesota where hurricanes don't come. But I saw the map for Ida and it went like through the entire eastern half of the country. Like it wasn't on the coast. Nope. It was crossing the entire continent and still like i read an article about how it came up through louisiana went all the way on land up to new york and still was powerful enough to drown yes new york Uh, that's actually something i was gonna mention in this whole thing was the i read about people who died in the floods in new york people with basement apartments they drowned. And that's the kind of thing, how it comes on that fast. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't think, oh, gee, it's raining real bad. You don't think I'm going to be stuck in this apartment and have no way out and just drown. Like, right. there you go. That's that's how 
quickly these things get you and how survival is getting more precarious all the time. Yeah. So since we've been super serious, let's just get a little more serious. Oh, okay. Do you consider yourself more of a Lenora, an idealist, someone who has hope in the face of hopelessness? Or do you consider yourself more of a Jakob where it's about pragmatism, it's about survival, it's about doing whatever needs to be done? And tied into that, Jakob also had an element of, we're going to die. Like, it's just going to happen. <laughs> I mean, I'm full of that. That's a thing in my head all the time. One of my big things that comes up almost every day is this, you know, I, I see something terrible on the news, which means Twitter. That's what the news is. <laughs> yes. And I'm like, you know, I've only got like 40 years left. Hopefully I can ride this out. That's basically it. It's like, I, I know it's going to end for me and it's getting to be more and more of a relief all the time, which is really disturbing. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm just like, this isn't fixable. I want to get out of this. That's a scary thing to think. But that said, I feel like there's a lot more. I mean, I'm probably somewhere in the middle. There's a lot more Leonora in me where I can't believe you know, like a teenager, I can't believe that it's ever going to get so bad. Like during the deep freeze, I was the one who wasn't going as far as you. And I'm like, oh, come on, we don't need to protect all those pipes. They're safely in whatever. How bad is it? can it get? And I never believe it's going to get as bad as it can get. It's just a kind of a built-in optimism that I'm a pragmatic person. So I fight against this optimism that I feel. So, like, I feel like it's not going to be bad, but I try to do very pragmatic things. It's, I don't know, that, it's difficult. That is so interesting because as you're talking about it, I'm realizing that I am the exact opposite. <laughs> yeah. I am a pessimistic person. Like you said, I was right. like, we have to get all the towels. We have to wrap all these pipes. These are definitely going to burst. This is going to be a problem. <laughs> Let's put water here. We have to have a bathtub full of water because right. our water is going to go out and we're going to need it. And like, I was so prepared for everything to be the worst that it could possibly be or the worst that I could imagine it to be. Mm -hmm. And I can imagine things pretty bad. And that's the thing is I think I was too, except I can't imagine it bad. For me, the worst I imagine it to be is it'll be fine. <laughs> and I'm like, we're going to die. Yeah. <laughs> no, so I was running around like frantically preparing all of these things. But at the same time, I was hopeful because I'm like, this is going to go down. And it'll be okay because we're going to do these things. We're, we're going to be prepared. We're going to use our pragmatism to make idealism happen. Yes. And I can be hopeful because I am a pessimist and I can prepare for the worst. And so then anything that's not the worst, it's like, hey, gravy. That's probably, that's probably a good attitude that I definitely don't have. <laughs> On the other hand... Because I can prepare for the worst and I can see the worst, I feel like as much as I have a very strong sense of ethics and morals around what is right and what is wrong, I don't know how much of that I'm willing to hold on to when it comes to the survival of particularly the people that I love. Mm -hmm. Myself, not so much. Like, am I willing to sacrifice my 
sense of ethics and and you know what is right to keep myself alive eh. i mean i might have reactionary like like just instinctual reaction yeah but if i think about it i'm like no i'm not willing to kill someone else so that i survive but my whole life i've had to think about things like what if someone is trying to hurt my siblings what if someone mm-hmm. is trying to hurt my nieces and nephews what if someone is trying to hurt you and I, you better protect me. There is no part of my brain. Like, I have to work really hard to rein in that part that's like, <laughs> oh, anyone who tries that is going to die. Like, <laughs> which I know is not right. Like, that's not right. I don't want to think that. Yeah. And it yeah. is. So, you know, when we go to the questions of what are you willing to give up to survive or what beliefs are you willing to die to hold on to? Like, those are really interesting questions to think about. Yeah, they're difficult to think about. They are. Can I just throw in my last silly bit? Absolutely. Yes, lighten it up. Why, why, why did they ever use fake blood in their setups? (laughs) You know how much harder it was for them to get sugar or corn syrup and red dye than it was blood, which they had gallons of pouring out of their ears? Where were they getting that (laughs) stuff from? I don't know. That's a very good question. It was a major plot point that they had fake blood, but uh, it was not believable. Ratings. I'm going to cut right to the chase. Mm-hmm. We've talked about this long enough. I enjoyed this movie as a movie, as entertainment. It was well done. I don't have any major complaints about it in that sense. Even more so. I enjoyed that this movie made me really think about things and mm-hmm. really not things I haven't thought about. Like I said, I think about these things a lot, but it helped me kind of figure it out more. Like I, I feel like the questions I have are clearer. Like I don't think I have answers, but I think I have clearer questions. That's probably really good for a movie to give you. Which is, yeah. I mean, that's amazing. That's a that's a great thing. Mm-hmm. So I am going to give this movie five cardboard onions out of five. That is high rating, high praise. We have not mentioned that this is actually a Netflix original <gasps> that you just gave a five to. Oh, snap. This is the first Netflix original we've ever watched that had... An ending? Not just an ending. It had a good ending. Yeah. I liked the ending of this. That's what I was going to say is that, like I said at the beginning, it was supremely obvious that this was about cannibals from the get-go. Like, mm-hmm. shot one. And it was like, are they going to do something interesting? What's going to happen? And they didn't really. It really was about cannibals and these people getting caught by them and then escaping. Well, some of them escaping. And yet they did make it an interesting story anyway and had twists and turns. Yep. So I will say this is not a strong five cardboard onions out of five for me. But it is it is a five cardboard onions out of five. It's not like my favorite thing, but it's it was really good and it had me enthralled from the beginning. I was very interested. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, same. I don't think this is the best movie that was ever made. No. But but that's what five pluses are for. Exactly. Exactly. This this was a movie I, I would recommend for people to watch. Me too. That being said, I do not understand why it was called Cadaver. Yeah, it's pretty important that we note that this movie was called Cadaver for some reason. I mean, a cadaver is a dead body, and dead bodies did play a pretty yeah. large part in but the so story. Yeah. 
Well, here is the thing. Okay. The evil twins. Of this movie was actually called The Possession of Hannah Grace and alternate title Cadaver, yes. which is a super appropriate title for the evil twin. Yes. Okay. So what? tell us about the evil twin that you chose. This movie is just, I mean, it's about uh, an exorcism that ends with the possessed girl getting killed and then her body's taken to the morgue and wakes up and goes around killing people and it's really the story of this woman who it's she's getting a job at this morgue um and it's like her i guess it's probably her second or third night when this actually happens we we follow her from the beginning though and so you know she's the heroine dealing with this monster and uh yeah it's one of those so the deep thought i had from this movie was that i cannot watch a movie with an exorcism in it or with possession in it of that sort, you know, that demon possession where it's, you know, cracking bones and uh-huh. bending yeah. backwards. Contortion. And yeah, I cannot watch those movies without basically being consumed with the idea that when you strip away religious propaganda and superstition, possession and exorcism is nothing more than power differential and mm-hmm. weaker people who are refusing to succumb to stronger people. Yeah. And and those stronger people are willing to kill in order to force the weaker people to follow what they want them to do because yeah. they can't fathom the idea that it would be anything other than demonic possession that would put someone yes. in in uh, conflict with their How needs. How could you not fall in line? Yeah, it's it's no coincidence that it is 99% women well, girls who yes. are in possession movies. Yes. That's, the, there I mean, is that is always, what it is. There is always a possessed female and there are always men trying to excise the demons from her. Mm-hmm. And that is so frustrating to me. She's hysterical is what she is. Yeah. Not that that in particular plays a huge role in the movie no. itself. Like that is not what this movie is about. It's just that that opening scene, I'm just like... Yeah, that's, that Gross. gets you thinking about it. Yeah, it always, <laughs> it always makes me think about that too. It's not not a good thing. It's a bad part of our past. <laughs> past. It's in our past solely. I haven't gotten my red jacket and my white hood yet. Oh, well, you that's can, on you order. You can call me of Michael <laughs> because we are we live in Texas and they have to ship us the hood. Sure, sure, sure. It was part of the. New bill, SB8. SB8. Yeah. Yes. So that is a requirement. I'm officially a lesser human. Indeed. So how would you rate the possession of Hannah Grace? Halfway into this movie, I was thought I was going to give it a good rating. I thought I was going to be like, this is cool. It's really the story of this girl and her job trying to deal with this. And, you know, it's an interesting situation that's really complicated. But then by the end of the movie, not to spoil anything, but it's kind of just, uh, you know, run around, killing people, screaming kind of thing. And it's, mm-hmm. I think the big issue is it's one of these things where the supernatural threat, we don't know anything about what it can do, and it appears to be able to do anything, mm-hmm. which happens all the time. And if it can do whatever, then we don't, we don't know what to do. There's nothing to decide. There's no way to fight it. And, you know, it's just luck or coincidence or randomness that results in 
victory or defeat. Or some unexpected nerfing of the bad guy. <laughs> yes, that happens a lot. Yeah, I, I would say something about that here, but there's spoilers. Yeah. So, for me, this goes into the mm, two and a half French fries out of five category. Two and a half? Yeah. Huh. It's kind of like reasonably well done, but it's just like why there's nothing to see here. There's no reason <laughs> to watch this. Interesting. In fact, there's a movie, The Autopsy of Jane Doe, which I didn't really like that much either, but it's so much better version of this same idea where there's a supernatural corpse in the morgue and you have to, you know, try to deal with that. You know, evil doesn't die, whatever. Yes, this definitely made me think of that movie, probably primarily because of the morgue setting. Yeah. I... (laughs) I have a hard time rating this because I didn't watch most of it. I listened to most of it because Mm -hmm. I find that whole contortion, bending (laughs) backwards, broken joints, whole thing. Did you enjoy listening to those sounds? I did not. (laughs) I find it very upsetting. It like makes my stomach hurt to watch those things happen. Yeah. So um, I didn't watch a lot of it, which then meant that I didn't get a lot of the jump scares and the like creepiness of it i feel like they weren't strong to me they really weren't so i don't know i feel like i kind of defanged it a little bit by by not watching it yeah that being said though like i i hear what you're saying about it not being that exciting there was nothing really unique about it but i feel like it was a pretty solid possession movie like It did what you Mm -hmm. expect from a possession movie. So in that sense, I mean, just going on a gut feeling, I am going to give this movie three and a half French fries out of five. That's plenty Um, more fries. Yeah. I, in fact, I contemplated giving it a four. Yeah. I mean, what let it down for me was just how it kind of wrapped up, how the battle against evil was resolved. Like I didn't. It basically boiled down to like a zombie movie, which was yeah. not what I was looking for. Yeah. I I think I'm giving bonus points because I really enjoyed the main character and I enjoyed mm-hmm. her personal growth throughout the movie as she's dealing with what was going on. So uh, that's that. What are we looking at for tomorrow? Tomorrow, we have a pair of movies from 2019, Blood Quantum... And the obvious evil twin, Blood Vessel, because I wasn't going to find another movie called Something Quantum. Sure. Uh, Blood Vessel sounds like it might be one of those film strips that they showed, like back when we were in <laughs> elementary school about That's what it is, you know, yeah. your body and you. Yeah, it's entirely about how capillaries work. <laughs> Should be good. And I can't even begin to think what Blood Quantum is. Like, I, uh, I don't even know. It, it's a historical term that you should probably know. I guess I'll learn about it tomorrow. Yeah. And we'll come back and talk about it then. Okay, see you then. Maybe um, I should stop shouting. Look at how big my noise are. lines are. Noise lines. Noise lines. Noise lines. Okay.